All right. Good morning uh, from News from the Drug War Front. My name is Jeff, and my co-presenter, as per usual, is Marion. Good morning to you. Good morning to you, Jeff. And waiting good to get on. Can't yeah. wait to get speaking. So impatient I am. I'm it's so sick of, of www.dot. Oh, yes, a very grey day. But I tell you what, we're going to go to some uh, music before we introduce ourselves so you've got time to go and get yourself a cup of coffee, stay in bed. says it's going to be 21, but it certainly isn't there yet. Desperate to hear this John Butler trio song, aren't you? I really want you to get it. Yes, I want you to hear coffee, methadone and cigarettes because if that's not the beginning of most people's mornings, then with or without the methadone, I reckon you're probably listening to the wrong show. Anyway. Well, coffee and cigarettes would be more. Coffee and the cigarettes would, I think that goes together. I'm sorry, I'm not advertising smoking, nor am I advertising caffeine. Merely saying that's probably how we start our days. So if we can start off with that, Jeffrey, then we can come back and. John Butler, I've seen him live. Love John Butler's stuff. I love this album anyway. It's called Home, uh, and it's his most recent one, I think. All right, this is Coffee, Methadone, Cigarettes, John Butler. Talk to you soon. Bye.
we go. That oh, was well. uh, John Butler, oh, Coffee I'm, Methadone and Cigarettes. I'm glad we finally got that played for you, Mary. Yeah, it is got good, it out of my system now. It is a really good little song. It um, is a good song and it's just it's like the story of his dad's life really rather than anything else but it's also about his background and, uh, you know, how he was introduced to the world. His father was a Vietnam vet. There's a lot in it and a lot to be remembered. So... 
Anyway, anyway, here you are. Here we are at news from the drug war front. Yes, well, for those who aren't um, familiar with the show, um, news from the drug war front is brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, and the Connection, which is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander or First Nations clients. News from the drug war front uh, naturally um, promotes the services provided by Karma and the Connection. But we also report on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and around the world. And we aim to promote discussion and education about the need for different approaches to dealing with the harms caused by problematic drug use in a world of prohibition. Mm. So the show reports on the the death, harm, misery, damage caused by the prohibition of certain drugs that were enshrined on a global scale with the 1961 United Nations Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs. Although the last uh, few years have seen some thawing of prohibition in some countries, sadly, most of these policies remain largely unchanged throughout the world. And we've had some incremental changes uh, in the ACT, the yeah. drug checking. And internationally, um, there have been some monumental changes. Whole countries like Colombia Well, Thailand, legalising yeah, cannabis. Yep. Um, there have been some big things happening, Jeffrey. We might have to change that introduction yeah. soon. Well, yeah. there's cause for some yeah. optimism. And unfortunately, we find that where Australia will kick something off, the rest of the world takes off at a gallop. And we are doing incremental, you know, tiny baby steps. But if we end up with um, maintaining services or an atmosphere of acceptance, tolerance and legitimacy of uh, the drugs that are currently illicit because of taking baby steps and watching those countries fly off at a rate of knots and seeing what their experience is, it's not such a bad thing, really, is it? And harm reduction is still uh, one of the three pillars of the, the national policy. So and that hasn't should be the main pillar. Should be the main pillar. Yeah. Should certainly be better funded. But yeah. um, anyway, um, that's the aim of the show, and uh, we hope you uh, find the conversation um, thought provoking. Yeah, and we want to get a kick in the patoot on the uh, war against people who use drugs. Karma and The Connection provide a wide range of services, as regular listeners will know, such as advocacy, peer treatment support, opioid maintenance treatment, which we don't provide but we do advocate for and will go with you to help you get onto at least the waiting list, if not get into the program itself. Hepatitis C treatment, which we're actively involved in, education, art therapy, support groups, rehab services, dealing with stigma and discrimination, which is a huge issue for drug users, mentoring and referrals. Above all, Karma and The Connection are harm reduction services, really key phrase. Karma and The Connection are located at Belconnen Churches Centre, Shop 17, Level 154, Benjamin Way. The drop-in hours are 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. Contact can be made by ringing 6253364343. And you can get a lot of things done by just calling the number. You don't have to come in to find out or to get advice mm. on where to go <coughs> to do things. Just ring 6253364343 or email karma at 
and all one word info at karma.org.au. Now, the le- next naloxone training oh, or yes. the overdose is this afternoon, that's right, at 2 o'clock and will be every Tuesday, the first Tuesday of every month from now on. So ring Karma on the number I gave you, 62533643 or... And talk to Dave or Damo yep. or call Nicole at the Early Morning Centre on 62475041. Anybody who answers the phone, actually, at the Early Morning Centre, tell them you want to enrol in the uh, naloxone workshop and you'll be referred on to or told if there's a place available this afternoon. It goes from 2 o'clock and you get paid 40 bucks for turning up. And if you are an opioid user or know somebody that you're close to who is an opioid user, it really is a no-brainer. Absolutely. Run. And the point is that naloxone does nothing except reverse the effects of opioids. So it is the kind of drug that everybody needs to be carrying with them. It's available uh, at low or no cost if you go through uh, the Early Morning Centre, through the needle exchange programs or through Karma. You can get it for nothing. Uh, It's available at low or no cost from pharmacies and you should have it with you all the time because no matter what somebody drops from, it doesn't matter if they've used opioids or not or you know whether they've used opioids or not, if you apply Nixoid, which is the name of the nasal spray, it will simply reverse the effect of the opioid. It will not do anything else. So it doesn't harm. Yep. It doesn't hurt. It simply reverses the effects of opioids. Pretty amazing stuff. It is. Okay. Uh, news from the drug war front. Um, as I said before, reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and from around the world. Many of the articles featured in our program come from other sources, including the mainstream media. So the contents of this uh, broadcast slash podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we do recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma advocates for equity of health service deli- delivery for all people. Now, it sounds mighty reasonable. It certainly does. I thought the first story we'd do, Maz, this is from um, Sydney Morning Herald, Friday, September the 30th, and I just thought this was quite interesting. We've mentioned the drug driving laws and the problems yeah, that people... Yeah, we've discussed it many times because we know people who've had problems, particularly people on methadone, who've had huge problems um, just from taking their methadone, having their licences withdrawn because they're on methadone. Just nothing to do with intoxication, well, the- and that's the issue that it's meant to be dui legislation isn't it driving under the influence the but more recent, you're not affected the more recent drug laws have included cannabis methamphetamine and and that's what they're being the applied to the third one as well that's just slipped my mind. anyway diazepam no, um cannabis uh, methamphetamine oh, jesus uh, someone will text like me and let me know ketamine or something no no um but anyway 
This is from Sydney Morning Herald by Jordan Baker. Failed, can, failed drug driving tests for medical cannabis days after use of exposure are increasingly common. And uh, Jordan says, Nicole Speckman is a kind friend, and that's what got her into trouble. Her neighbour was dying of cancer, so she would sit with him in his caravan where he smoked cannabis all day to ease his symptoms. One day she sat with him for an hour, an hour or less. The next, she faced a drug, or the next day she faced a drug driving test producing a positive saliva result. There was no suggestion that she was driving under the influence of a drug. That's a separate offence. But she was charged with having trace, uh, traces found in her body. Being picked up for a random drug test, or RDT, for having traces of cannabis, even if it is legal on prescription, which is becoming more and more um, commonplace, and yep. you know, I've actually been speaking to people recently who have had quite a seamless um, way to organise it uh, online um, yes. and to get oh, good and be uh, able to get a hold of some, it. you know different THC or CBD levels. Yeah. So, you but know, there's a massive difference in the intoxication because it's using a different, well, it's different a, kind it's a medicinal of treatment. It's, yeah, this it's is, using a medicinal treatment. It's not, use, this it's is not, not to get using high. cannabis sativa. It's using a different, the different, this uh, is not to the get indica, stone. if you like, no. or the whatever. This is, this is not... Um, the idea is not to get intoxicated. It's to be therapeutically yes. treated for what ails you. I mean, cannabis is a drug with all sorts of um, useful Uses, treatments. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Okay, so um, she said... Um, what have I got to... Being picked up by a random drug test or ADT for having traces of cannabis, even if it is legal on prescription and even if it was used days or weeks ago, is a common problem. Quote, thousands of people appear through New South Wales courts each year, said former magistrate David Halpern, who presided over Spackman's case in 2019. In the country, losing your driver's licence means essentially no job, mm. and that means no mortgage, no going to see your family. It really is terrible. Since 2016, cannabis has been legal for medicinal use in Australia if it's prescribed by a doctor and approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration, or TGA. Prescriptions are skyrocketing. It is most often used for chronic pain. But many people, particularly um, in the country areas, do not take their medication for fear that drug tests will pick up traces in their saliva long after the effects of the medication have worn off, or even, as in Speckman's case, if they were never felt in the first place. Halpern, now Dean of Law at Southern Cross University, is campaigning for New South Wales to change its drug driving laws, as Tasmania has done and Queensland is considering. He points out he points to a gross double standard, saying people can drive with detectable levels of other medications such as an opioid in their system, but not cannabis. Quote, doctors I know say 30 to 40% of people will never take up their prescription because you cannot drive, he said. The demand for medical cannabis is there for a reason, but it's completely useless if you cannot drive. Mm. It's nothing to do with road safety and everything to do with prohibition. How many times have we said that? It's, yeah, um, absolutely. It's, it, it's really um, it, it's counterproductive. And you're right, lots of people have come you know, to Karma and asked for representation or advice or suggestions of a good lawyer. Or and Karma can help them with that. Yeah. We've, we've had some successes. Yeah. But why should somebody be faced with the prospect of losing their licence when they get picked up? It just measures the trace element. So that and I have a feeling, Jeffrey, it's one of those things that really needs to be taken to, um, like the federal court. It needs to be uh, a precedent needs to be set in terms of 
uh, and it, so that it can be it can be basing the base of judgments from here on in. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, his position is backed by the New South Wales Bar Association, New South Wales Young Lawyers and the Law Society of New South Wales, which in a submission to the recent Upper House hearing into driving regulations said cannabis users should have a medical defence similar, um, similar to that of those who use morphine for pain. That seems reasonable. Oh, okay. Uh, Nicholas Cowdery, former New South Wales Director of Public Prosecutions, also supported the change. I remember you, hearing from Nicholas Cowdery when man. he was, yeah, but when he was public prosecutor, it was a whole different thing. And as we always say every week, when people are ex, well, yeah, you know, from that, have re- removed themselves from the position they they've candid. been operating in, they can say what they think other than carrying the government line further. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he said, I think the whole drug driving law regime is misconceived he told the inquiry. What we should be focusing our legislative attention on is driving impairment. These laws very largely miss that. A recent study by the Lambert Initiative uh, for Cannabinoid Therapies, Therapeutics at Sydney University found that THC-induced impairment lasted around 3 to 10 hours, depending upon how much was consumed and how it was taken. There was no impairment from another compound, CBD, or cannabidiol. I always have trouble with that. One meta-analysis found the crash risk associated with THC, the intoxicating compound, is similar to that of drivers with a low-range blood alcohol concentration less than 0.05, which is legal limit for fully licensed drivers. The New South Wales government is opposed to changing the laws, what a surprise, arguing that there is compelling evidence regarding the impairing effect of THC and the elevated crash risk. Professor Jennifer Martin from John Hunter Hospital said people reacted differently to medicinal cannabis, so brain uh, fogginess and impairment varied. Kate Fairman? Yep, Fairman, a New South Wales Greens MP, said the party's drug law reform spokeswoman said uh, said the current laws were unfair and discriminatory. Quote, it's just nonsensical that our driving laws don't change when medical cannabis became legal or didn't change when medicinal cannabis became legal. She said a spokesperson for Transport for New South Wales said THC could affect cognitive skills such as judgment. Spackman was found not guilty. That's good. Quote, I accept that she had an honest belief that she was not driving with THC in her system and that she had not actively smoked cannabis within the last 24 hours, Harlpern found in his decision. It may be that the defendant's reading is somewhat of a mystery. And that's probably not a bad um, assessment of what's going on because if she didn't smoke or in in uh, take in any cannabis 
of her own volition, shouldn't be at then risk why should she yeah. be? Yeah. And the other thing, of course, is if it only lasts from four to ten hours, the intoxicating effects, and we know that it's actually stored in the fatty tissues for up to after chronic use for up to a month, yeah. then you know you're not going to be stoned for a month. It's not good law. Once Marin. you've given up using, it's just silly. Or yeah. even if you're just not intoxicated, just not not sensible. But yeah, look, I'm really hoping that um, this kind of debate in the mainstream media might lead to some. Change in the law, yeah. yeah. Well, it, as I say, it really needs to be taken to a federal level and used as a, a precedent for further legal challenges or law changes or decisions to be made. So difficult to take a law off the books. More Once difficult, it's on. yeah. It takes yeah. five years to get rid of one whereas it takes five seconds to get one on at the books. And essentially this law is just another string to the bow of um, law enforcement's war on people who Absolutely. use drugs. Absolutely, another little, another little um, fundraiser. Yeah, yeah also, yeah, also uh, yeah, financial um, uh, benefits, I suppose. In Always financial benefit, and that's raising. something that we have to constantly keep in mind, Geoffrey, is you've got to ask at the end of every statement, who benefits, yeah, yeah? Good point. All right, I, I thought the most appropriate song for that story is Cypress Hills, uh, I Want to Get High from the Black <laughs> Sunday album. <laughs>
All right, that was Cypress Hill and I Want to Get High. Okay, we'll go to the national news and then we'll be back at about four minutes after 11. All right, it's coming up about four minutes after 11. You're listening to this week's news from the drug war front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy. And I'd like to thank all the people who um, supported 2XX during the Radiothon and those who uh, nominated it. Uh, this program is uh, one of the reasons why they uh, wanted to support 2XX. So thank you very kindly for that. I noticed just a small story in the Guardian Weekly that I thought was interesting, given the fact that uh, a lot of people think that um, using drugs is a modern phenomena. Uh, and it's just a small piece of it in the archaeology uh, section. It says traces of opium found in a 3,500-year-old pottery. Israeli archaeologists have discovered opium residue in a 35-year-old, 3,500-year-old pottery pieces, providing evidence to support the theory that the hallucinogenic drug, I'm not sure it is hallucinogenic, but was used, to, uh, used in ancient burial rituals. Excavations in the central Israeli town of Yehud revealed a series of late Bronze Age graves, vessels at the site that resemble poppy flowers from which opium is derived, dating to the 14th century BC and found opium residue in eight vessels, the researchers concluded. So, very interesting study. Okay, might go to a song. This is uh, 60s psychedelic band 13th Floor Elevators and Slip Inside This House. <laughs>
Oh, right. That was, uh, I think, a classic of the 60s psychedelic <laughs> era. 13th floor elevators and slip inside this house. It sounded like it stopped in every floor too. That was so long. Look, but the, it, it, was it was handy though. They took ages writing the lyrics on that one song and the rest they just banged up in one afternoon. The rest of the album they just did it in an afternoon. <laughs> and the, the lead singer got busted in Texas for cannabis and yeah. ended up having to go to a psychiatric institution and was never the same again. So you want to talk about the I'm impact of cannabis law? I've worked in psychiatric institutions. Jeffrey, you wouldn't be. Most of the people in there are institu- were institutionalised. It's just atrocious. And some of the treatments that they use on people and still use today um, are, are just damaging yeah, permanently damaging. Pretty horrendous time. Major tranquilizers you meant to be on for the rest of your life. And they used to do, you know, brain, cut out your brain. I mean, it was just Shock therapy. Crazy. Yeah, oh, ECT yeah. was horrendous to watch. But there were people who actually used to like ECT because of the drugs they gave you before they first, you first, mm. you know, were on it. But. Oh, oh no! Just a series of a, tra- a series of treatments with six treatments of electronic shock. You know, convulsive therapy. That's what it's called. Lovely. Watching it was shocking. So being involved in it must have been even worse. And they used to put Jeffrey. I can't tell you how atrocious it was to watch. And of course, October is Mental Health Month, and um, I would argue that a hell of a lot of people who have problematic issues with well, substance use are dealing. Don't- they don't address it as mental health. They address it as mental illness, mm. yeah? it's If it was approached as mental health, I'd be much happier. But they just, it's, you know, we are... Stigmatised. In the early days, as stigmatised as drug users are and, in fact, treated as liars and drug seekers. Yeah. Now, the majority of people who are on long-term mental illness... Um, dependent or, or treatment dependent are using major tranquilizers, and that, in a lot of ways, is more damaging. Trying to come off um, major tranquilizers is almost impossible. Once you've been put on them, you're meant to be on them for life, and that's just wrong. It's a providing um, an addiction for people who have no opportunity to feel because that's what mental dr- mental health drugs do or major tranquilizers do. They stop you from feeling. They control your behaviour. And it's the issue of control mm. that is most alarming because it also works in the same way as... I suppose, maintenance programs for long-term opiate users, yeah? yeah? The use of drugs uh, or the provision of drugs, yeah, in a particular systemic way, a systematic way, is a control issue. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily a health issue, a harm reduction issue. It's a control issue. And you don't have uh, agency in that issue. And we have a piece later on, hopefully we'll get to it, which is about human rights, Jeff, mm. yeah? yeah. Um, and that's something that needs to be considered. Well, yeah, a lot of people think we have all sorts of human rights in Australia and we're a free country and this, that and the other. And I always say, well, t- show me where it's written down. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and show me where we have agency, which is the, your capacity to represent yourself or to deal with service providers in um 
a healthy way rather than as a consumer in a with a power, power difference imbalance, between yeah. Yeah, you and the service provider. Yeah. Anyway, the first story we've got uh, now, well, the first story for this bit of the show, is an international one, and this is about, uh, it's from February, so it's a long time ago, but it's still relevant and will be for some time. As people who use drugs, we are the safer supply experts, not physicians. And I think you'll find if you ask physicians, they would probably acknowledge that they are not, many people will not get involved in methadone supply because they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to manage drug users. Anyway, this is by Phoenix Beck McGreevy and Andre Selinsky from filtermag.org from February the 14th. Safer supply saves lives. It's that simple. People who use and sell drugs have long known this and academic research is catching up too, demonstrating that safer supply reduces mortality rates and improves quality of life. As people who use drugs, people PWUD, we denounce the unfounded critiques of safer supply by addiction medicine physicians like Vincent Lamb, medical director of Coderix Medical Clinic in Toronto. We are the ones navigating the illicit supply drug supply daily. We are the experts. Arguments against safer supply are consistently inaccurate pro-profit and rooted in fear and hate-based ideology. Our lives are not a moral dilemma. Both medicalised and non-medicalised models of safer supply are a part of the continuum of harm reduction. As a non-medicalised model, as non-medicalised models are not authorised in our current legal framework, much of this work falls on healthcare providers. They must weigh their life-saving benefits with the life-saving benefits of safer supply against the potential professional inconveniences like audits. In uh, a Globe and Mail op-ed, Lamb wrote that prescribing safer supply goes against the Hippocratic Oath to, quote, do no harm, which is the first part of the Hippocratic Oath, in fact, the basis of it. In fact, it's done to the same processes by which providers routinely prescribe antidepressants, painkillers or medications for opioid use disorder, MOUD, taking informed, calculated risks using their clinical expertise and consulting their peer, with their peers when needed. Detractors like Lamb claim their opposition has a moral basis. Indeed, some prescribers are concerned they risk moral injury, moral injury by prescribing a medication they believe would cause harms such as overdose or be diverted into the illicit market where it could potentially harm others. Well, you've often said morality comes into these... Um... It has always been about, for me, my aspect from my aspect, I think it's all about whether it's okay to be intoxicated or not. Mm. How do you and so yes, the moral dilemma exists, but who's in the position to judge that, Jeffrey? And I who's find the arbiter? It obscene, yeah. yeah. 
Who is it? Is it okay for me to decide? This is what agency is. Mm. Make it, being able to make your own decision and operate within that decision, within that framework. Absolutely. But those who prescribe safer supply are often more concerned. They risk moral injury by not prescribing a medication that could reduce overdose by helping a patient avoid the contaminated drug. And they know that diversion, while they must take precautions to prevent it, is shown to be an overall benefit to public health rather than a harm. And this is one of the things that Canadian activists are arguing, is that safer supply is what is needed to prevent the swathe of fatal overdoses that are, you know, cutting through the community from fentanyl and other... And if you want do no harm, if you want to stick to the Hippocratic Oath, isn't that the first part of it? Stop people from overdosing. Don't kill them by making by forcing them onto the illicit drug market. I would have thought one of your first priorities of any leader is to protect your citizens. Absolutely. Yeah, if you get voted in by them, don't you want to maintain their vote? Maintain their presence in the universe? Well, on most every other issue, yes. You but would think so, yeah. When it comes to prohibition and the illicit the drugs that are on the illicit drugs list, it tends not to be... Um, and a- often it tends to be an economic issue rather than a moral issue or any other kind of issue. It's really down to how many bucks does it cost. And we find, really, when people have done uh, research on this, Jeffrey, that in fact it is more uh, economically viable to maintain people or provide them with the drugs they need rather than to um, force them onto the illicit market and provide a hugely expensive illicit market. And and the benefits for that market are going to be the people who are providing firearms and funding wars and, you know, the CIA, basically the people who are um, interfering in other people's lives. Creates a climate for all sorts of activities. Yeah, and denying them their own agency anyway. Um, The harms from not prescribing safer supply are far more severe. At least uh, 24,626 people on land occupied by Canada died of overdose between January 2016 and June 2021. That's atrocious. That's a lot of people, 25,000. That is a lot of people, And then then there are all of those who have experienced physical, emotional and social harms from non-fatal overdose. There's the tremendous weight of grief that people are forced to carry. The drug war has a stranglehold over their lives. Not expanding safer supply means everyone will continue to suffer from the harms of contaminated illicit supply. Mm. Harms created by the government and perpetuated by law enforcement and, of course, the healthcare system. The ongoing drug war uh, has a strength of oh, stranglehold, no, repeats itself, stranglehold over their lives. Stigma and judgment are ongoing. Criminalisation is a constant threat. Infantilisation and dehumanisation permeate clinical settings. None of this is necessary. Drug use can be safely managed. To push or essentially force people to use drugs to use to use the poisoned street supply is simply outrageous. Mm. And as we mentioned last week, the new um, president of Colombia basically used the word genocide um, to describe the policies of prohibition. Methadone has had a monopoly on drug, uh, apic drug treatment for decades, something that many methadone patients understand to be a primary obstacle to innovations in their Oh, sorry. Um, in their care, barriers to accessing uh, clinics include suboptimal dosages, police surveillance, travel and transportation, long wait lists, and structural racism. 
Most of these methadone, quote, juice bars once offered at least services like voluntary counselling. Yet even the methadone giant Ontario Addiction Treatment Centres has cut back its services substantially. Safer supply programs, however, are embedded into wraparound primary care and social services. Indeed. We need to recognise the limitations of MLUD, um, including that the current prescribing thresholds offered at select federally funded programs just can't match the potency of the illicit drug supply. MOUD patients will supplement with that supply when their medications don't meet their needs. Safer Supply recognises that the current illicit supply is unpredictable and deadly and the only way to keep people alive is to answer the calls for a regulated alternative. Regulator ecologists need to support prescribing guidelines developed in, the collab in collaboration with people who use drugs and support providers who offer safe supply rather than auditing them. Public officials and addiction medicine physicians must acknowledge that successes already employed by champions of safer supply and stop deterring other prescribers from offering this federally endorsed life-saving intervention. We must also implement non-medicalised models. Our government needs to address ongoing ongoing drug uh, policy failures and take immediate action. Fair Price Pharma could already be supplying people who use drugs with regulated diacetyl morphine if British Columbia's provincial government would provide funding. We... We must also implement non-medicalised models. The Drug User Liberation Front, or the DULF, could expand the provision of labelled, tested drugs directly to the community if the federal government issued the exemption DULF, or Drug User Liberation Front, has requested. Our communities need radical investments in the social determinants of health, including housing, healthcare, guaranteed basic income, education and employment. With these needs met, people who use drugs can rebuild the esteem that has so far for so many years been beaten down by the stigma we face at every turn. We need to end restrictive criminal record checks that prevent employment and educational opportunities simply because of someone's drug use. Parenting, of course, is affected by that too, Geoffrey. Yes, indeed. We need people who use drugs to lead and operate programs centred in harm reduction and compassion. Expand safer supply, decriminalisation, legalisation and regulation of all drugs are the only way forward, the only way to save lives. We need to act now. Uh, now, there are five people there... Uh, as co-authors of the article, Julia DiGiorgio, who's the founder of Cape Breton Association of People Empowering Drug Users and Program Coordinator of the Alley Health Centre, Nat Kaminsky, the founder of Peer Drug Users Network, co-founder and president of the Ontario Network of People Who Use Drugs, Alexander Holtam is an acknowledged mobilisation expert with the National Safer Supply Community of Practice and at uh, lead editor at the Drug Hub, 
All five co-authors are member of the Canadian Association of People Who Use Drugs and Settlers on Unceded Indigenous Lands. I think that's interesting that they've added that too because there's a, been a the same kind of thing going on in the United, in um, Canada. It should be going on in Australia, unceded Indigenous lands. Indeed. Because much of Australia is the same, well, unceded land. It was deemed terra nullius. That's right. Anyway. Uh, Very interesting article and it put is on an Canada article. for continuing to promote the, and well, And to fight. push the barriers, yeah? Yeah, and fight. Provide written material that we can base our arguments on and that can educate um, people like Lamb, this Dr Lamb, who is in there for what seems to be economic benefit and for his own purposes with uh, and using, manipulating the arguments of the, like the Hippocratic Oath mm. to his own advantage because to do no harm is is not meant to be a subjective determinant. It's meant to be an objective determinant. And you're meant to work with the person and, yeah. That's right. I mean, I just, yeah, I'm really proud of them for producing that. I think a lot of stuff comes out of Canada that we can learn from. Well, I think it's been a response largely um, from people I know in Canada. They've just reached a point of despair, frustration, anger, any well, negative num- emotion. The number of people, people of friends that they're losing, Jeffrey, it's and just you know, I can think of a number of people that I've lost over my lifetime in Canberra who have been written down as dying from um, failure to breathe. Well, when it was an overdose, I and mean, it's true, they certainly did stop breathing. Yeah, but that's hardly a determinant of just cause of death no. when it's really an overdose-related yep. death. Yeah, but for many years, well, um, oh, because I've been here forever and I'm as old as the hills, we <laughs> did not record people as having died of an overdose. No. It was such a middle-class town. Yeah, they were written down as having. Failed to breathe. Yeah. What a silly bloody thing to say. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. All right, you've picked another track. This is the Blind Faith CD that you brought in and you wanted to hear Can't Find My Way Home. Yeah. Well, I hope this one suits a lot of our listeners. Let's hope it's a good one. Blind Faith. Thank you. 
not the one you were expecting. <laughs> no, well, we did learn that he couldn't find his way home. I'll tell you what, the lyrics weren't all that deep, though. Very deep. <laughs> so that was Can't Find My Way Home, but blindfold. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah. I hope he got there eventually. Um, I was just thinking before about the previous story we did on um, Canada and the way they're trying to you know, get a safe supply happening. Um, that's one of the... Uh, sort of incentives towards the development of the CanTest um, drug checking facility, which yeah. is currently on a six-month pilot. Um, it's at the community centre at One More Street. Um, currently the hours are, what, Thursday, 10am till... Thursday, 10am uh, to 1pm, Friday, 6pm to 9pm at One More Street, Canberra City, and that's uh, provided by directions at the health centre building. Um, it sounds like it must be near the needle exchange program, maybe. Well, that's that's outside. That. Yeah, it's inside yeah. the main um, building. I haven't actually been in to see it. I'm yeah. pl planning to. Um, but, but they've had some interesting results from it. Yeah, so in the first month, and and we're beyond that. Well, beyond that now. We must be up to at least month two. Well, the good thing about this, Marion, is this is incontrovertible evidence. Yes. It's not just. Um, not guesswork just guesses, or yeah. somebody filling out or a, somebody saying it feels like it's this good, yeah, uh, whereas yeah. last time it felt like it was that good, yeah. Which has essentially been the quality of research we've had up until um, developments like the can test. Uh, That's right. We just had had no data to support anything we said, or no respected data. It's all been so called anecdotal evidence and. I mean, that's true. It is anecdotal, but it's not going to be respected at a professional level when you want to talk to... You need information that's been collected. As I say, if you want to do research, you ask the same question of the same person or the, the same group of people each day or in, in sequence. That's research when you're asking that same question or in, looking for that same kind of information. And this uh, can test is real research. Well, the philosophical thing Not we just really anecdotal. need is yeah. to have a researchers co-design these um, uh, research projects with peers. Yeah, and it's been and it's been through the ethics right. yeah, yeah. committee. It's had all the legitimate. Oh, this all has been the, brilliant. It's got all the. Um, uh, all the indicators of, of real research and that's what we need so that we've got local information or data on which to base programs that we can develop in the future, hopefully in Australia. I thought we might look at another um, story about what's the situation in the UK. I mean, back in the day, they used to talk about the British experiment and, you know, they had doctors who could prescribe heroin. Honestly, low, you know, not a huge basis, but it was possible and yeah. it was successful. But well, and it was the way the health system was set up over there yes. too, Geoffrey. They were quite capable of locally being able to provide whatever drugs were available um, depending upon the philosophy or the position of the local head of the health service delivery department who was usually a psychiatrist and the first one was harm reduction um, provided in Liverpool 
by, uh, I can't remember the name of the doctor I was reading a minute ago. But anyway, it's but it just, went it's back just, a long way. It yeah. goes back a long way. It's really interesting that it's actually been going on for a long time, but it was very quiet because it was only in individual yeah. areas. Well, sadly, they've gone backwards and they don't even have um, the level of um, funding of drug user groups that we have in Australia post-HIV. No, and so. they had a long period, I think, of uh, particularly Thatcherism, but yep. not only Thatcherism, that it really took away funding from health services and made a mess of the NHS. Well, I did notice that Liz Truss has turned um, 180 degrees on the tax Within cuts for the wealthy. Within 24 hours, yeah. The, the backlash was just remarkable, horrendous because yeah. the UK's got so many problems. And Good to see they can change their mind, yeah. though. Well, yeah, I was surprised. Anyway, all right, uh, this is by Rachel Cuncliffe from the New Statesman. The UK is a world leader on drugs. We have the highest rates of drug-related deaths in Europe, the highest cocaine usage amongst young adults and the highest number of people in drug treatment programs. On August the 3rd, the Office for National Statistics released its latest figures on drug-related deaths in England and Wales, revealing that 2021 was a record-breaking year, but not in a good way. Mm. It's no coincidence that we also have some of the toughest prohibitionist laws in the, in the developed world, while other countries like Portugal, Netherlands, Canada, even the United States, where Richard Nixon's tragic war on drugs was launched, have been slowly following the science on harm and addiction and relaxing their drug laws, the UK's remain completely obstinate. Neither of the two main parties are remotely interested in drug, drug reform. The Conservatives, despite being led for the past three years by a man who admits his own past experimentations with cocaine, and he's now been replaced, of course, Boris Johnson, mm. have moved ever further away from evidence-based drug policy, announcing draconian plans to increase random drug testing and to confiscate the passports and driving licences of anyone found with illicit substances in their systems. Mm. The Labor leader, Sakia Starmer, meanwhile, has taken the cowardly approach, using an excuse that he has, quote, seen too much damage as a result of drugs to countenance any reform without considering how such damage could be avoided by a better, more humane legal framework. While some brave MPs advocate liberalisation, backed by the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, <laughs> And grandees such as William Hague, most frontline politicians prefer to simply shut their eyes to the mounting evidence and just pretend that prohibition works. Oh. Isn't it? I mean, well, we've sort of pretty much had that here for a long, yes. quite a, a long yeah. while. Well, it's a, it's a not a not hard quite issue. As bad, not a hard issue to tackle as it used to be, Geoffrey. No, that's it true. It is a hard issue to tackle if you don't have a plan. Well, what certainly wasn't raised in the last election campaign. I don't think no. anyone was going to take the chance of doing that. No, because the last time it was raised before um, an election campaign, what got in was a very uh, just don't do it yeah, it was. kind of attitude and uh, really about interdiction was the primary principle upon which the so-called harm reduction, the three pillars, were yeah. founded, yes. And any MP that suggested even the most modest reform or expressed an opinion... That was slapped down without... Slapped down yeah. hard, yeah. So it is hardly surprising that Rishi Sunak, um, who is now also gone, desperately attempting to breathe life into his faltering leadership campaign, tried this line at a recent husting in Darlington. The former Chancellor called drugs horrific, insisting he'd never taken them and saying it, he would be, quote, incredibly tough on anyone who does. Mm. So they were sort of um, competing with... Yeah, and see, and see who can be the harshest on drug policy. You know? it, it happens everywhere, doesn't it? It's yeah. pathetic. Leaving aside whether he 
his contempt for anyone who has ever experimented with drugs applied to his erstwhile cabinet colleagues, Michael Gove and Dominic Raab, both of whom have admitted to dabbling in the past, this kind of mindless posturing is what prevents a grown-up conversation about how to save over 6,000 lives a year. It is what blocks not just the introduction of a legal market for low-risk drugs, such as cannabis, a substance far less damaging to the body than alcohol or tobacco, mm. and far less damaging to society at large. But harm reduction initiatives such as safety checking services at festivals and supervised consumption facilities which can help prevent overdoses. Sunax is presumably under the apprehension that the failed war on drugs is popular. And, <laughs> and among Tory members, that all-powerful group who, who choose the Prime Minister, it might be. But neither the general public nor the red wall voters who won the Conservatives, their, mandate, their large general election mandate, are so blinkered. New polling suggests that voters overwhelmingly back harm reduction strategies. 61% of the public support drug safety checking services, rising to 66% among red wall voters. Supervised drug consumption facilities, meanwhile, are supported by the public, with 49% in favour, so nearly 50% in favour of drug consumption facilities, yeah. compared to 18% against. So that, that's pretty impressive numbers. It is. But the politicians are behind the public. Yes, know. way behind. Yes. And they just won't raise the issue because, and I remember saying this to Michael Moore, it's considered to be a um, uh, a brave approach, you know, considered to be brave. And that's just, yeah, I mean, he declared that to be not true, but it really is was considered to be a not conservative. And you had to be a brave politician to stand up and advocate for any change in drug policy. Well, my experience in um, activism, and I'm 64 now, is that this issue is perhaps amongst the hardest to actually successfully to get well to get people make progress behind. and get yeah. people behind, there is so much propaganda to get, get over. Uh, well, yes, and to try and persuade people that the propaganda has been so thick on the ground yep. and so well conversed and so institutionalised and people socialised with it that it's very difficult to combat it without the use of things like can test or the drug testing with that Service, kind yeah. of research yep. being available. Yep. Anyway, the article goes on. Legalising cannabis, decriminalising possession of certain other drugs and allowing research into medical properties of substances such as psilocybin, the psychoactive ingredient in magic mushrooms, all enjoy widespread support. And while just over half do believe that the criminal punishments handed out for drug use are too lenient, only 26% uh, think the threat of criminal penalties is effective at deterring drug use. A, ma a majority also believe that education or treatment is a better response to use than a fine or a prison sentence. Ultimately, the public is in step with the science, as evidenced by Portugal's two-decade experiment in drug harm reduction. Having decriminalised possession for all narcotics in 2001, the country now has lower drug use and fewer drug-related deaths than the U EU average, the European Union average. While prohibition will never be able to eliminate or demand or supply, remember UK drug use tops the international charts, making drug use safer and focusing on treatment over penalties is highly effective, effective at preventing deaths. 
On-site drug testing schemes at festivals, for example, have been shown to significantly reduce hospital admissions, but confusion over the legality of these programs, fuelled by the government's anti-drugs rhetoric, has supplied or stopped them being rolled out more widely. The prohibitionist Sunak is playing to uh, is uh, playing to do not want to hear this. Is playing to do not want to well, obviously doesn't want to hear this. Every time a teenager dying after taking dodgy pills at a festival, they will use it as an argument for harsher laws. They never consider uh, whether the death could have been provided by harm reduction schemes such as drug testing services or whether opioid addicts could be more likely, <clears throat> opioid users could be more likely to survive in treatment centres than in prisons. Perhaps they do not care about those lives, but our elected representatives have a duty to. A year ago, I interviewed the doctor and neuropsychopharmacology expert David Nutt, who lost who in 2009 lost his job as the Labor government's chief drug advisor over his advocacy of reform. Quote, we know that the vast majority of politicians want the drug laws changed, but they're terrified, he told me then. Watching Sunak, who is surely aware of the evidence after seven years in Parliament, <coughs> pander to the war on drugs crowd, it seems that sense of fear is alive and well but the latest polling shows it's also outdated mm. as crispin blunt co-chair of the all-party parliamentary group for drug policy reform which commissioned the survey put it the results quite strongly suggest that policymakers are getting it wrong Demonising anyone who uses drugs and calling for tougher punishment might make for a good soundbite, but it doesn't reduce use and it won't save lives. Experts such as Nutt have, been no have known this for decades and now it turns out that the public knows it too. It's time for the politicians to catch up. Yep, we said that earlier, didn't we? We have, yeah. and um, we probably say it every week. And I think, you know, the, from the results of the can testing thing, when you're talking about the pills that people are using... We're going to have more and more evidence. Yeah, well, what's been coming from that in particular? Look, MDMA was expected in 19 samples and it was detected in 13. Right. So only 13 of the 19 actually had any MDMA in it. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Some of them, four out of the seven capsules contain 23 to 64%. Three out of five powders contain 19 to 62% of MDMA. Three of the four pills contain 9% to 12%. A twenty-one percent of MDMA, and three or th out of three crystallines contained six to seventy-three <coughs> percent. Excuse me. Where MDMA wasn't found, a range of other substances substances were detected, including caffeine and BK two CB, whatever that is. But anyway. <coughs> It's just interesting that they're not, they're, you know, in the things that they're not finding MDMA in, and these are black market substances, obviously, because it's MDMA, that's how yep. you get it. As time passes, we'll have more and more. 
we'll have more evidence to show and hopefully they'll give us some more. The interesting thing that we found and we laughed about last week, Jeffrey, that, you know, there are five samples of cocaine brought in. It was detected in three, but it was less than 27%. Mm. So, off. you know, it was just one sample which contained no cocaine was found to contain dimethyl sulfone, which is it just, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's just humorous, shows but how, it's just yeah. you don't no, know what can be in it, it's it dangerous. can be deadly, yeah. yeah. Look, uh, on that note, I thought I might um, play Ice T's The Tower, which is about um, not just drug users that end up in jail, but a hell of a lot of American uh, prisoners are in for drug-related yes, offences. Yes, 13 floors up yep. is the uh, prison in uh, Florida. Yeah? Huge. Up on the yep. 13th floor, where do you go for fresh air? Anyway, it's called The Tower, Ice T. That's who I trust The minute I arrive Some sucker got hit Shanked ten times Behind some bullshit Word in the pen The fool was a snitch So without hesitating I made a weapon quick Found a sharp piece of metal Take it to a stick Then the bullhorn sounds That means it's time for chow My first prison meal The whole feeling was foul It wasn't quite my style But my stomach growled So I washed the shit down And hit the weight pile The brothers were swole The attitudes was cold I felt the tension on the yard From the young and the old But I'm a warrior I got my ground to hold, so I studied the inmates to see who had the power. The whites, the blacks, or just the gun tower. Yo, man, I was up at Jamestown, man, on the dorm eight, man, on the weight pile, man. These two fools was fighting white boys, man. White boy put it on through the window, man, the back room, like, hanging out, man. The CO's, if you want to touch it, man, it's like blood everywhere. But I think you can't stick that boy on this commissary, man. It was real bad, man. It was real crazy up there, man. It was wild. In the blink of an eye, a riot broke out. Blacks put their backs to the wall. It was north and south A gunman shouts and everybody had doubts Till the bullets started flying Took two men out Then they rushed everybody back to their cells Damn, the pen is different from the county jail I'm in a one-man cell I know my life's on the scale I wonder if that gunman is going to hell This is my second day I got a ten-year stay I learned my first lesson in the pen you don't play I seen a brother kill another Cause they said he was gay But that's the way it is It's been that way for years When his body hit the ground I heard a couple of cheers It kind of hurt me inside But they were glad he died And I asked myself Just who had the power The whites, the blacks Or just the gun tower Solidad, X-Wing My first day off of RTQ As I passed through Melissa, Texas I could feel the attitude so thick I could touch it The manpower was all around I could definitely see that Before I knew it Three stickers that went down Yep, you guessed it Locked down you see the whites got a thing they call white pride The blacks got the muscle, Mexicans got the knives You better be wise, you wanna stay alive Go toe to toe with a sucker no matter what size A fool tried to sweat me acting like it was hard I stuck him twice in the neck and left him dead on the yard It was smooth how I did it cause nobody could see With my jacket on my arm and my knife on the side of me Bam, bam, it was over another fool bites the dust I went crazy in the pen with nobody to trust I'm benching ten quarters so I'm hard to sweat Use a tax gun and engrave my set they call me a lifer cause I'm good as dead I live in the hole so the floor is my bed And I ask myself again Who has the power? The whites, the blacks, or just the gun tower? I am a J2 overflow Back up here, you know Charles Manson 
thriller, you know, on the main line, you know what I'm saying? And white boys getting stuck on a regular, getting their commissary took, you know what I'm saying? Then I go from there to Susie's world, you know, I made me some steel, you know what I'm saying? Had to get busy with it, you know what I'm saying? Had to get busy, you know, got went to the hole, laid there, and I had to find myself, you know what I'm saying? When I was able to get back to the main line, you know what I'm saying? It was drama once again, you know, they weren't ready to move on me. Ready to roll me up off the yard, you know But my guys is with me, you know what I'm saying John Nell, Nails, you know what I'm saying OGs was down on my line, you know what I'm saying Ready to get busy, put their life on the line And stick something for me Then they rolled us up, you know Put us back in the solitary Moved us from there to the other yard Where was more drama The warning shot was a hit Alright, there was Ice-T and The Tower Okay, we're in the just the last couple of minutes of this yeah. week's... Um, I just want to give people a little bit of information just to remind you um, they're rejigging the uh, hepatitis uh, C trial. That's a collaboration between the Hep C Council and uh, Karma. Uh, but you still can get, I think, the finger prick test done, Jeffrey. I think it's Stop they're working that. out the protocols and how to use it, and it's actually going to be available at Karma for two okay. days a week. But we'll have information next week and let Good. people know. Yeah, so we'll let people know what's happening with that. But at the moment, just to remind you and please let your friends know that the, um, the naloxone program or the overdose, opioid overdose prevention and um, anyway program, the training program is on the first Tuesday of every month from now on. And that means today at 2pm at the Early Morning Centre, contact Damo or Dave at Karma on 62533643 or uh, at the Early Morning Centre at 62475041. Yep. Thursday of every month. Yeah. First Tuesday of every month. Leap your number and your phone details and uh, right. they'll book get, a spot for you. I'll get back to you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Marion and I will be Have back next week. Have a good week. Yeah. We'll leave you with the theme song. Look after yourselves, my yeah. darlings, and we want you to be Stay around safe, to yeah. listen to us next week. Indeed. We'll leave you with uh, Golden Brown. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye. Texture like sun Lays me down With my mind she runs Throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown With golden brown Every time Just like the last On her ship Tied to the mast Two distant lands Takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown, fine attemptress through the ages she's heading west From far away, states for
for a day. 